Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts. Andy with Mark Hazard Merck, number nine, and Stephen with Kickers Inc., number nine. Started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably or uh, let's say cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world in 1986. Now, as the stories progress to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals, except for a few secret agencies. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. Uh, if you would like to find out more, we invite you to check out our website, uh, kickersinc.com, uh, where you can still take test yourself with uh, New Universe trivia in the Super Sleuth sweepstakes still available. Odds of winning, quite good, because odds of participation is low. <laughs> Will there be a new contest coming soon? We like to think so. We keep mentioning it. <laughs> um, and we're also in the midst of a um, new universe slogan contest as of last month. Paralleling. How, how come that's not the new contest? Shouldn't that just be the new contest? Um, I don't know if you really test yourself in the same way. If we mm. can sort of combine the two so that you're tested on new universe. Let's just say if your slogan... Uh, incorporate some sort of new universe trivia you might definitely have a have a better chance of, uh, of right um you could also uh follow us on twitter at kickers inc where we'll um post updates on the upcoming books and podcasts um and if you would like to learn more than more we also invite you to visit our friends uh, not run by us, but uh, friends of the podcast, the Facebook fan page, Marvel Comics New Universe fans. More than more. I like that. Maybe that could be our slogan. <laughs> or newer than new. Oh, come on, uh, audience members. Uh, Andy's uh, ahead of you already. Listen, the brain Too is storming. <laughs> anyway, so, so this week I get to talk about Mark Hazard Merck. Uh, combat veteran Mark Hazard has been a soldier of fortune since Vietnam, but he's lost his relationship with his son and ex-wife. Uh, he tries to put his family back together and reevaluate his life while dealing with the real-world repercussions from his decades of fighting. We have also lost track of his son and ex-wife, sadly. Um, but this week, in Mark Hazard Mark number 9... Uh, Mark Hazard deliberately places himself in the Russian army's bullseye when he signs on with another mercenary to deliver guns to the Afghan rebels. Decoys, written by Doug Murray, illustrated by Gray Morrow. Um, and then the shorter solicitation, Mark Hazard, Mark 9, there's a new merc mercenary in town. Meet him this issue, if you dare. Ooh, is that a... Is that a threat? I don't know. <laughs> that's not a that's not a uh, call to 
quick pause on the podcasts because you're afraid to meet the new mercenary. I think he's <laughs> probably not that dangerous. And this week, I will be covering Kickers, Inc. Up professional football player Jack Magnaconti gains real superpowers, possibly from his shifty scientist brother, but probably from the white event. When his brother is killed, he bands together with his wife and teammates to form Kickers, Inc., a last resort answer to people who need help, as well as a possible tax scam. We'll say likely tax scam. Eh, that's just, <laughs> the, the odds are getting better with each issue. This week, Kickers, Inc., number nine. The new owner of the New York Smashers traps its star quarterback, Jack Magnaconti, in a Machiavellian power play. To escape, Jack must either must sacrifice either his career or his self-respect. May the best sport win is written by Dwight John Zimmerman, penciled by Alan Kupperberg, inked by Tony DeZunica. Um, the shorter version is the Kickers Inc. number nine. The New York Smashers are being sold to the West Coast unless Jack can stop it. Oh, that is the simpler version. <laughs> But uh, that does sort of sum up what the threat is of the Machiavellian power. <laughs> Don't worry, there's plenty of shenanigans involved. In and we'll also be discussing uh, some more of the Hollywood casting from the Universe News for these two books. Yeah, um, see, see which megastars of the 1980s were chosen to be uh, potential... Uh, actors for all these cool new universe movies that never existed but would be fun to think about yeah it's it's a uh it's a fun exercise in the cinema of the 80s as well so yeah and it's fun to see the kind of questionable choices that the artists made for their new universe casting to be perfectly honest Let's just say we we have a uh, we we also rate those a bit as you know how how appropriate we think they are. So stay tuned. True, but you also got to think of them as we got to always remind ourselves that this is the 1987 version of that actor, right? It's really <laughs> difficult to find like that that um, photo. Sometimes IMDb will show you something, and they're all like the cast of the Breakfast Club, and and it's all everyone's in their fifties, and you're like. I've had pretty good luck. So, like, you know, if, if you're following along, listening to us, and you got the internet, like, if you just search actor's name in 1987, like, it's actually pretty solid. So, you know, the the Google ag- algorithm gets a win there, or something like that. All right, big tech shill. <laughs> I mean, go back to your Twitter. <laughs> Sign up for a verified account or something. <laughs> <laughs> we are really kickers inc <laughs> yeah nobody else can take it from us so probably disney <laughs> Oy. well anyway that's too topical right three years from now i'll be like what are these guys talking about what's twitter nobody's using that <laughs> all these um yeah this distributed uh unix uh booted um self um hosted <laughs> message boards that's the future i think <laughs> definitely none of this wireless stuff either but anyway um yeah so start time to start talking mark hazard here right none of this newfangled internet 
Mark Hazard doesn't know how to use the internet, but he does know how to <laughs> disassemble and clean guns very well. <laughs> so uh, Mark Hazard Merck, issue number nine, uh, cover July 1987, uh, release date March 31st, 1987. So still in 87, but in the beginning of the year. Um, so, you know, quick recap that's relevant to the story, of course, uh, you know, Mark Hazard is kind of still trying to find his way. Uh, he had a job working at defense, uh, basically like a bodyguard for a politician who turned to be turned out to be uh, uh, kind of a tyrant and perhaps an ex-Nazi, uh, which ran him into trouble with his uh, part, business partner, buddy, pilot, Treetop. Uh, and, and maybe not the best bit of comic book writing, uh, and Mark Hazard ended up shooting treetop and legs uh, and fleeing away because uh, <laughs> treetop really, really wanted Mark Hazard to uh, fulfill this contract and stay the guy's bodyguard. So it didn't end well, but now he seems to be kind of struggling a little more to find jobs and, you know, trying to hook up and find new friends and such. That's kind of where Mark Hazard has been left at this point. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, a cover has Mark Hazard tied to a post uh, in his classic ripped sh shirt, fatigues, cigarette in mouth, and um, two guys with AK-47s pointed at him. So he's on the firing squad here in the cover. Uh, it's not credited, but the art is actually pretty good here. Maybe the Mike Zek from the last couple of issues. Could the only be, thing yeah. I'd, no I'd point out is that these guys are standing like two feet away from him so yeah <laughs> they're not worried about the splatter <laughs> also maybe not the best security precaution when you have someone as dangerous as mark hazard but it's anyway they're 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 they look basically like the middle eastern character on the cover of last issue so i i thought at first it was going to be sort of a continuation of that somehow but yeah but as, as, as we find, uh, not necessarily the case. So, um, so if we open the book, the title of, title of the story is Decoy. Um, we do have Doug Murray, who's been a writer for a little while. Uh, but the artist actually in this issue is Andy Kubert uh, with Adam Kubert as inker. So, okay, <laughs> we've got Kuberts. Wow. Yeah. A breakout of Kuberts. I didn't even realize these guys had started by this point. This maybe it must have been yeah. early for them. But it is actually kind of distinctly noticeable at times. There's like nicer backgrounds, you know, so it's, it's pretty well done in general, art-wise. I'd say their style is like, it it's definitely feels like Joe Hubert sometimes and the faces or, or, or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very uh, well done art. Yeah, so... Well, we open up to a sweeping, you know, pullback shot at night of Brooklyn, just across the river uh, from, you know, Manhattan and such. Um, so there's a bridge, a bunch of tall buildings and, you know, two people on top of one of them. Uh, far, too far away for us to see. One says, I don't know, Gramps, I just don't know. And there's some white birds that are maybe supposed to be doves in the foreground. Seagull? Seagull? I don't know. It's a little hard. <clears throat> well, they're flying around, right? So so we cut cut to a conversation between 
two guys in old school detective hats on the top of a building <laughs> for some reason uh, in the dark uh, talking. So we get, you know, kind of a confusing conversation. It just doesn't seem fair. And the older guy with the mustache that's fair since when is this old world fair besides he's a proud man he needs the help lynn maybe mark doesn't need the, maybe mark does need the help at that right so they're talking about helping mark with something um and yeah so so we find out this character is uh, lincoln griffin so perhaps our new mercenary um uh, but uh he's looking for mark so so he goes to uh, priestess's ninja school for martial arts which I, I remembered that name being pretty funny last time um, <laughs> but he's not there uh, so she sends him to the Walton Matilda uh, an Australian <laughs> bar I'm like okay <laughs> I mean yeah okay it's 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 something <laughs> an Australian <laughs> bar no wonder he can't find any work I don't quite know what. What is that what... supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> is this anti-Australian? They don't have any money. They're they're illiterate. What is this? I, I don't know. <laughs> this, I don't know. Maybe this was before Crocodile Dundee when we all you know found out the that the Australians were awesome outdoorsmen. <laughs> I feel like it's after. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so so uh, Lincoln. Finds his way to the waltzing Matilda, uh, and it's in the middle of a bar fight. So some guy gets basically tossed out the door as he opens it, or through the window. I'm not really sure. Um, and as he walks in, we're going to pull back to a panel of basically a whole bunch of dudes surrounding Mark Hazard, or what we, we're pretty sure it's Mark Hazard at this point. Um, so he's surrounded, but there's broken bar stools and like broken people. So like he's been mid fight and already taken out at least four bar patrons for some reason. Um, so the fight continues. Mark Hazard's you know punching people in the face, and as uh, another guy comes up behind him with a bottle to kind of crack it over his head, uh, Lincoln grabs it and kind of rescues him a little bit. And says, "Here now, that's not very fair," and kind of joins the fight. So punches out a guy, takes a drink, you know. Finishes the job basically. So I guess Mark Hazard took down like eight goons, and Lincoln Griffin took down one more. And now you just got a bunch of crumpled, passed out people in the bar, and Mark Hazard shouting at them. <laughs> Any other heroes who think they know what I should, what I should have done? So see Mar Merc number seven, which is actually kind of vague, but well, yeah, I couldn't quite. This didn't make much sense to me because. Uh... Number seven was incentives. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, six was the uh, clients where he shot treetop and, you know, was suppo that's supposedly breaking a, a contract and everyone's blackballing him or something. I had to have guessed that that was just a numbering mistake. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, right, it, I'm still guessing that's the big issue everyone has with Mark nowadays. But Yeah. By the way, the guy on the previous page calls him, all right, you big Mick. You know, Hazard is a lot of things. He's a killer. He's a combat hero, a, a contract breaker. But Irish? <laughs> I don't know about that. That's one insult too far. <laughs> Gone too far, my man. <laughs> Wait, I'm Irish. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
Google on. So, but, um, so Mark kind of turns, Lincoln Griffin, what in blazes are you doing here? So he knows him apparently. Um, and there's kind of a weird thing where it looks like Maul is standing behind him. Yeah, someone was cheering him on in the fight. So I, when we see this, I'm assuming it's uh, Mal had, you know, he had run into Mal at this bar, and he was part of the. Um, could could Mal? Could it really be Mal if he didn't join in by exploding somebody though? <laughs> like that's that's my problem here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. We don't know what maybe... put all those people on the floor. It could have been a bomb at that hazard was just beating up the few who were still standing. I don't know. Maybe I'm overdoing it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I guess Mahal is there. Um, so Griffin kind of meets them, says, you know, I've got work for you as soon as you can find a pilot. Uh, but yeah, I guess Mahal is there too. He's like, I'm in, but pilot? Apparently there's only one pilot. That's treetop and somebody shot him up. So... <sighs> Really, you had to bring up pilots again, huh, Mark? You just never <laughs> learn, man. But yeah, so you know, we cut to later uh, at another bar where there hasn't been a fight, um, and you know, I think off panel, Lincoln Griffin, who's you know still shadowed like nine times out of ten, uh, which is odd because we've seen his face. Um, you know, is telling you know, just heard about all your problems, but I think you're the right man for the job. You can plan, you can ad lib, you know, you can succeed. Uh, you know, Mark says when. So going into the story, we don't really know what the plan is, uh, but we know we need a pilot. Um, I think yeah, Griffin has this because he's always in shadow and he's got this like old timey hat. He, he seems like he stepped out of a 1940s movie you know um yeah film noir but for some reason i don't know why that they want to do that but okay <laughs> yeah but anyway so so we get three days later in marseille uh so mark hazard's there talking to someone named ritter um who ritter was from incentives oh was ritter in incentives yeah he was okay. the pilot who didn't want to help out and then the, they offered him the A-10 or something. So he oh. kind of came in late. But... Does he look completely different? Because I didn't, I didn't even he make did look connection. completely different. Yeah. yeah. So didn't he have like black hair and a mustache, like a Tony Stark looking dude? Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Come on, people. <laughs> Confusing me. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, this seems like a totally different guy. Like the original Ritter was like, kind of like suave upscale just doing it for kicks and this guy seems more kind of you know down to earth you know needing a job kind of mercenary type so yeah maybe yeah, it's just he's another guy well named do. ritter yeah previous and now not and yeah i don't know yeah i'm thinking this is like ritter number two <laughs> nothing can prove it otherwise <laughs> <laughs> That at least makes more sense to me because I totally didn't make that connection. Um, but anyway, so um, I need to get work on on my database of new universe characters. I guess, I guess you know, in which we will then keep track of them better than they did. <laughs> we have computers now, so yeah. <laughs> all he I needs mean, like, you, like literally three by five cards, and having a little card deck would have you know been enough to 
keep up with all like any everyone that uh, has been introduced in the new universe so far but, yeah well hey i got the like almost the whole kickers inc or sorry new york smashers roster just by writing down their names in my notebook so yeah you know you know newfangled internet or uh spreadsheets is that a challenge okay it is a challenge all right we're only on like page three so we talk about the story <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah you know mark's trying to convince ritter to go fly with him and apparently he does um you know they take a ship uh, somewhere, you know, Ritter makes fun of Mark Hazard for being seasick a little bit. Um, and we get a little bit of a, a thread. So as uh, Mark is on his boat, and again, we don't really have a good sense of what he's doing yet at this point. You know, they run into some customs agents. Mark Hazard seems to kind of know everybody. Um, you know, so he tells the captain of the ship they're on, you know, you know just remember what you were paid for and who is paying you one more thing remember who i am so a little threatening but <laughs> um so yeah basically the captain pays off the customs people and we get the uh money makes the world go around here too come on let's get some lunch so they're yeah go ahead i was gonna say i thought the flag on the ship was italian um uh but anyway, I think he's going through the Mediterranean basically at this point. So Marseille yeah. is in the Med of uh, France, and uh, they're heading in the Middle Eastern direction. We presume, presumably, <laughs> yeah. So, so next morning, uh, boat stops. They unload some cargo. You know, so now it's time to earn your money. So basically, we find an old plane uh, out of pure curiosity and not knowledge. Um, it looks like a Curtis C-46 Commando, like an old World War II era warplane. Like a, you can you can find these things online that kind of show you, uh, based on the shape, what airplane it might be. Uh, I could be way wrong on there. So if, if you know your warplanes, uh, correct me. I would love to know the real. <laughs> but it's I, also I mean, drawing, so. Yeah, I just sort of accepted it as, yeah, something sort of World War II era turboprop kind of. Um, but not, I didn't look for a specific model. That's yeah, cool. but the 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 images online of that Curtis C forty six, like it really looks really close. If nothing else, it's quite close. So, uh, so they get out. <laughs> he doesn't want to fly the thing, <laughs> um, but you know that's his job. Uh, so we cut to the other half of the team. So basically, uh, Mark Hazard and Ritter are. They took a boat to take a plane, and they're one half. And then the other half of the team is Maul with Lincoln Griffin, our new mercenary, apparently. Um, uh, but they're also, you know, on a boat, right? Basically unloading some containers for shipping. Um, and he kind of greases the wheel with money, too. So it says some miles away. It doesn't say exactly where we are yet. Uh, but there's a guy with some sort of turban who he pays off with an envelope full of money. Says money talks all over the world. Let's hope Mark remembers that too. Of course, we know that he already did. Um, cut back to Mark Hazard. Uh, Ritter's flying the plane. You know, he's kind of, uh, or no, complaining about not being able to fly the plane because it's too old. He doesn't know how to do it. Uh, Mark's like, ah, you better learn fast. Takeoff is 3.30. He's like, less than 10 hours. Can't be done. And then at 3.30 precisely, the plane takes off. So 
I guess it can be done. As long as you have Mark Hazard pestering you, you can get it done. So where are they going? Uh, north to the Gulf of Oman. Wake me when we get there. So Mark Hazard's on a plane. Again, cut back again to our other, other squad. Uh, looks like they're driving through sort of a mountainy pass. It says India-Pakistan border. Um, and it looks like they're going to get stopped. Uh, so basically Lincoln takes the truck. You know, they're at sort of a classic you know, outpost stop with a line of cars and a little bar that goes up and down and guys with guns that are, you know, menacing and such. Um, but yeah, rather than getting searched, you know, he pulls it off to the side, you know, guns it, smashes through the bar in like classic action movie. Like those, those toll booth bars are meant to be driven through by Jeeps and such, right? <laughs> uh, but they're in a big cargo truck and just kind of blast through. Uh, right at the same time, over in the Gulf of Oman, um, we get Holy Hand and Mark. We're in the middle of the Persian Gulf War. <laughs> so uh, this old airplane is kind of in the middle of a combat scene where there's a bunch of fighter jets attacking. Uh, looks like a cargo ship or maybe an oil tanker. Um, and I wasn't really that up on my history, but it's just that part of the Iran-Iraq War. Um, and I think as most of it was on land, but apparently, you know, there's at some point both sides, Iran and Iraq, started attacking merchant ships, right? So both of them sell oil, both of them, you know, move a lot of oil, you know, and at some point they decided, like, hey, let's screw them up and, and attack that. Um, so, yeah, both sides attack ships, especially oil tankers. Um, I think it was May 87, so it would, would have not quite happened yet, but really soon. Uh, one of them accidentally or or actually attacked a U.S. ship and like 37 people died. Then kind of oh. the U.S. got involved and kind of shut down some of the uh, naval combat. So very topical for 1987. Interesting. Yeah, the um, I, I only just went by like my vague memories of the conflict being go going on. But looking at the map, the... Gulf of Oman and where they're headed is kind of on, you know, the other side of Iran or Iraq is on the other side of Iran from that border. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's a little okay, I guess, you know, if you've got ships and you can have planes in the area, everything's fairly tight. I don't know. It's a good visual, like a, a dog fighting modern jets uh, all around you with this uh, aging whatever prop uh, airplane that they're in. Yeah. Feels like an Indiana Jones movie kind of scene or something. That hat really puts you into play it. In the, I guess. In zone with that, yeah. <laughs> but we don't know this guy at all, though, either. I mean, he hasn't really been developed as a character yet. Uh, he's just kind of along for the ride. Um, but yeah, so one of the fighter jets notices the old ship and starts kind of buzzing it. Um, and so, you know, of course, this is uh, Ritter 2 and Mark Hazard in the plane. And Ritter's like, he means business, Mark. Open up the farm implements. We need one of those stingers back there to get rid of this guy. He's like, sorry, Ritter, there's no stingers back there. None at all. So I guess they're smuggling stinger missiles to Afghanistan so they can shoot down 
Russian helicopters and planes and such. Um, but to Ritter's surprise, um, Mark Hazard's not the one doing the smuggling, apparently. <laughs> um, so while the uh, jet starts shouting a warning, uh, maybe in English, I don't know, um, acknowledge or I'll shoot you down, acknowledge at once, um, we cut back to um, Lincoln and Mel, who are, you know, looks like they're in the same spot where we left Spitfire and <laughs> right, Jenny Swenson. But maybe they'd run into each other. Um, if there were Russian kind of robots cool. coming over the border, I would. Where are these yellow robots? Hit them with a stinger missile. It'll take care of it. Uh, but yeah, the wastes of Afghanistan. So, you know, wastes not, is a good word for Not it. the best tourist destination. Let's go to the wastes. Um, so the, the truck, maybe with the actual stinger misses, missiles, meets up with Guy on camel. Um, kind of leads them in surrounded by other guys on horses. <laughs> uh, but they know Miss oh no, camels. So they, they know Mr. Griffin, they're expecting him. Um, so the Afghani who meets him um surprises him by speaking excellent English and says, I was a student at UCLA, just like they used to say in all those old movies. Um but yeah. So I guess they're delivering the actual missiles. So they have a, a box labeled farm implements, which is not suspicious at all if you just lay put implements. Uh, <laughs> no specifics, please. <laughs> but yeah, so th that, that's, that was their mission. So uh, stingers to teach the Russian pilots to keep their heads down. Um, and so as they open up the box of with an actual Stinger missile in it, which in this just looks like a tube, um, then we cut to a, the other box of farm implements that Mark Hazard has, which is in fact filled with farm implements, which is making none too happy whomever captured him, which is not really clear. I, I presume Iranians? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the at the end of the book or I don't know if it's the solicit for the next book that like mm. um, this is Iran that he's in but right they so, also have a turban much like we saw earlier which I'll be honest that's not a very Iranian look I don't think but, no it looks more like a chic kind of thing or something or something more India captured by Gunga Din <laughs> I don't know. My knowledge of turbans begins and ends with the Nintendo game Karnov, so <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I could give more background details on the farm implements. Uh, but Mark's kind of sassy at this point, so you know we didn't see exactly what happened, but apparently he's been captured, he's tied to a chair, he says, Stingers, we're shipping farm implements, just like the crates say, and he's got kind of like a devious look on his face, but he's also bleeding from the head and getting smacked around by some guy. Um, so he's got sources, told us he was smuggling Stingers to the Afghans. Uh, you know, Mark's having none of it. So, you know, they, they send him off uh, for the questioning. So, you know, we finally see the outside and it looks like um, you know, some kind of like base slash prison complex. Uh, looking at it now, it looks it looks straight out of uh, Metal Gear Solid Five <laughs> video game, which takes place in Afghanistan. And like, I feel like, hey, I've invaded that square shaped base with the tower. <laughs> like, it's spot on. 
So see if see if Mark can find a cardboard box to hide under. And uh, yeah, I think there was vents that you, you could crawl around in when they're looking for you. That was that was the the helpful escape there. But oh, nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Mark and Ritter are both captured. Um, and so you know they smack them both around. You know, this time uh, Ritter's kind of getting the giving the beating, but none of them really want to talk, and also they don't really have much to say. Um, you know, the uh, they don't have any missiles whatsoever. So you know, a pretty brutish, big shirtless dude starts coming towards him, uh, possibly with a gold tooth. Uh, he has a, had been one that was beating up on Ritter, and Mark breaks his bonds. Right, so I don't think we got any clues that he could have, but uh, looks like he must have had a knife or something, or he's just really, really strong. So he kind of breaks breaks the ropes that were holding him, uh, chucks a knife into the guy's throat. <laughs> you know, Mark Hazard kill number one, perhaps. Okay, um, and I missed that. Me. What's that? I'd missed that entirely. Yeah, yeah. Show me what you what you do to Americans. It's like. Uh, but you know, Mark's pretty hopelessly outnumbered. So even though he takes out a couple, you know, they're jumping on him, they're piling on. Somebody clubs him in the head with the butt of a rifle, and it's not really too long before he's tied up. So you know, that fight did not go nearly as well as the Waltz and Matilda bar fight. But a bunch of soldiers with guns are a little tougher to deal with. Yeah. So Mark's in trouble here. Uh, Mark Hazard has not seen this kind of difficulty uh, in his comics career so far, I don't think. So both him or him and Ritter are tied to a post, uh, just like the cover. Um, and there's our white turbaned guy who says, you can help your friend, just tell me where the stingers are. Says, there aren't any stingers. We were the decoy, hence the title. Uh, by now, the stingers are in the hands of the Mujahideen. Mujahideen? Uh, we know what he meant yeah then your friend will die for nothing firing squad mark says no you can't you gain nothing by this wait fire oh full panel spread page of ritter number two so the other guy is safe in his penthouse i think uh basically just getting shot up and killed i think that's a cope strategy my friend you think so (laughs) I, mean, I didn't have that much fondness for Ritter. It's just like in my head, I don't think he dyed his hair and shaved his mustache for this mission. I, okay, we'll go back and double check later. Okay. Once he totally wouldn't have done it, like that was his whole shtick. Like, you know, it's like, why would he take this mission? He doesn't need the money. And he doesn't even get to fly a cool plane. He's got to fly a junk plane. Yeah, it's. So they probably would have been a lot more successful if they had that like A-10 Warthog thing that they were flying around. Like they could have taken it to the uh, Iranian Air Force. Hmm. Well, anyway, um, so Mark's okay. Ritter is not. Uh, We don't actually see him die, but he's definitely shot three or four times. Um, And then we go to back in New York, last page of the comic. Breezes by pretty quick. Um, so that's the story. We've they've got Mark, and we've got to come up with a way to get him back. So presumably this is Lincoln Griffin again, though he's a little hard to recognize in a white suit, white pants, white tie, black shirt outfit. No um, hat. No Yeah, where's the hat? And no shadowing. <laughs> so who is this guy? Um, it says, and soon my contacts tell me we have 
less than a week before they execute him as well. It's like, do they have an execution calendar they're waiting for? Like, okay. <laughs> we can only execute one person a month. I I don't make the rules. It's it takes them a lot of time to reload, I guess. <laughs> Come on, people. Um, it says, now here's a way we might be able to do it. Um, so he's talking to basically our squad. So, you know, blonde woman I'm, who I'm assuming is priestess. Uh, Mauve is there. Treetop is there. Treetop in a wheelchair. Treetop in a wheelchair. <laughs> And and I don't know who the guy in the like between Mal and Treetop is. No, I don't recognize him either. Sergeant so. Major, maybe. Yeah, well, Sergeant Major. It looks like he's got a big dark mustache. So it was either like the guy from the old guy from the beginning who like set Lincoln up to do this mission, or yeah, someone from that mission with Sergeant Major. But anyway, yeah, you're right. That guy did it. So. Yeah. So we get a later that night. Can we do it, Mel? Can we save him? They're back up on the rooftop for some reason. It says, we'll save him, girl, or we'll take out the entire Iranian army trying. Oh, there um, we go. So everybody's shadowed and kind of blacked out. So I assume that he's talking to Priestess and Mal, not new people. But Yeah, I think you're right, but... So I guess the troubleshooters are going to have to try and rescue Jenny Swenson from jail. I mean, ignore her. I mean, no, this is a new mercenary trying to rescue Mark Hazard. But were team books so popular that like you, everyone wanted to get rid of the solo characters and focus on the teams that were around <laughs> them? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I thought we were going to get rid of the old squad and take over the new squad, right? Like we'd have more from Priestess and less from Maul and Treetop, but that wasn't the case. So Yeah, I I mean, I like the, the idea that Mal's still around and they're like, you know, is in the picture, but... Yeah. Priestess, uh, Doc, Sergeant Major, or someone else... Ritter number one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens to all of them. Okay, so so with another issue of Mark Hazard Merck in the books, what do you think about this one? Very, I'm very conflicted by it. We have, on the one hand, Doug Murray's slow growth as a writer of modern <laughs> mercenary fiction. And on the other hand, a... Um, rising star with adam kubert um as i say um it's a nice uh, joe kubert uh inflected style and even if he's kind of it somehow draws it like you know it's the sequel to casablanca or something <laughs> um yeah it aside from those like jet planes it, i mean everything feels like it could have stepped out of a 1940s movie um so yeah yeah i guess like we were just saying i'd like to have the people around mark um professionally be developed more so that part is good but not sort of at the expense of mark himself no not you know we'll just wander you off to a prison now and have some fun adventures on our own without you yeah look i you know, Mal has now developed some strong arms, he calls them. <laughs> uh, I, I am hopeful that 
the story continues with like half rescued squad, half Mark Hazard in prison, right? Rather than like totally turning it over to the to the rescue team and you know having a book that's not about Mark Hazard. Uh, I'm I'm less confident that any character will be developed in this run because you know we're still pretty much coasting on the character development from you know the first couple issues like that's the only personality we've really gotten out of mark hazard um but this is definitely a a step up in terms of like story and mission being interesting i think and and the art helps a lot i think too so like it's definitely a better issue which makes me feel good about going forward that you know hey this can get better um because it, it had been a little bit of a slog, honestly, <laughs> trying to read through these. Uh, they're fast-paced, they kind of go quick, but it's like they feel kind of empty at times. This didn't feel quite so empty to a degree. Yeah, I think much as I say I like you know introducing new characters, Lynn Griffith Griffin feels like he's being sold to us a little hard, you know, like... Oh yeah, right. He rescues Mark. He's saving the day. His mission goes well. He's gonna, you know, pull off the great escape thing. Mm, so you know, I, I I'll I'll resist that a bit uh, by by my nature. <laughs> yeah, as a reader, I'm like I don't like this new guy. Like this is I like Mark Hazard. <laughs> I'd like to see him do fun things. I don't care about this new guy. <laughs> um, but you know, try and keep an open mind, but. If it becomes if it becomes his book, that's uh, <laughs> not excited about that. Uh, I don't know. He also looks like the Punisher, who's drawn on the state, um, who's on an ad on the same page, same uh, page as the uh, final. Oh yeah, that makes it look like hey, uh, <laughs> know how we could increase sales in Merc Hazard Merc. Throw in the Punisher. Uh, I'm not sure that would work. Throw in someone who looks just like the Punisher. <laughs> and have him punish people. Are we going to tell people that it's a different character? We'll give him a hat. <laughs> Punisher never wears a hat. <sighs> Should the hat have a skull on it? I don't know. <laughs> hmm. um, so I don't know. I'm going to... I'll throw out a B, B plus. Because B plus? Whoa. I do like the art. It doesn't sound like you're reviewing it as a B plus. Okay. Um, I shouldn't talk you out of your ratings, but I'm being uh, yeah generous in the sense of the uh, what do you call it? I get carried away by my Cubert. Okay, he's is a nice style. It's not like uh, definitive. Okay, I'll admit. It, yeah, it, it seems kind of like better. you know some people have style that like works for some books and doesn't work for others. You know, and like and some are just like really impressive and like. And probably because of the, the father and like the school that teaches that style and all that kind of stuff, like his stuff, like the Kubert style just seems like comic book. Correct. You know, like it just seems about right. Um, yeah. You want a war comic, you get a Kubert style on it and it, it works together. Yeah. So Yeah. For me, read through number one. I didn't like it. Uh, read through number two. I'm like, oh, okay, this is all right. You know, who reads comic books three times naturally though? Um, <laughs> and then reading through the third time, I'm like, yeah, it's all right. So I, I would C plus this. Okay. So, and that's not a bad rating for me. I think that's just, uh, 
you know, it, it, it's helping helping me out a little bit. I, I after eight, I was like, what's what's nine gonna be? And then after nine, I'm like, all right, let's see what happens. At least this is interesting. It's not a one and done. Yeah. So let's see. So the new universe, the universe news asked um, Gray Morrow, the Merc penciler, um, at least in the first couple issues, who he would pick to star as Mark Hazard, and his selection, Scott Glenn. Um, both of us had to go look up Scott Glenn again. Yeah, I didn't. I did not know who Scott Glenn was. Like an astronaut? Who's Scott Glenn? <laughs> He's a, yeah, I mean, I recognize the name, but more from like some small roles he'd had later. Um, and um, I didn't really connect him with military stuff, but uh, he had at least one, I forgot now what it was he was in. He did Man on Fire, which I think was in 87. Okay. And, and he looks really spot on, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, he's got the look. It dug up a, a good photo from that that uh, really sells him on it. Yeah, I was trying. Go ahead. <laughs> I was trying to find like uh, who who sort of matches in terms of size and and that sort of um, imposing figure that Mark seems to cut. And John Wayne was uh, about six four and has that sort of build that I th- sort of think of as as Mark. You know, okay, sort of heavy set. Um, Clint Eastwood is also six four. Oh, you stole my as... my casting. I was going to ah. say Eastwood. <laughs> uh. I think yeah, because John Wayne was like the wrong generation. That's the other yeah. Wayne had been, I don't know, his last role was like ten years at least before that, early seventies, I think. But um, yeah, he'd he'd wear that like beret sometimes, I think. But anyway. Yeah, I think Eastwood would have been perfect. Like, it's got that a little bit older, kind of a little bit grizzled, he's, or he pulls that off well kind of thing. So, yeah, Mark Hazard's a little more buff than Eastwood usually would be in a film or something, but I don't think that would hurt it. Yeah, I don't want to... I mean, that's that's the only sort of part that doesn't match for me is that, um, yeah, if he was filled out a little bit more... There's if also you an older people to go to the movie though, like you would cast Eastwood, right? Oh yeah, sure, sure. No way. No, no, uh, no doubt about it. I didn't uh, think too much about who else they would have um, as part of his uh, supporting cast. I think Mal, you could have sold uh, Paul Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. Like, okay, an Australian that'll work. Get an Australian that we know. <laughs> And uh, I think Priestess is uh, still um, influenced by Madonna. Yeah. Although technically Mal's sister Phoenix would was sort of the story version of Madonna, but that's true. But she Madonna would probably be better as a cameo than a character too. Yeah, she was in what Desperately Seeking Susan was really a couple of years before this. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, she I can't say that like one was action. on my must-watch list. Is she ever in like an action movie, though? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I couldn't. Uh, nothing else came up off the top of my head for the the rest of the uh, supporting cast. 
Yeah. Any black actors in a wheelchair to play treetop? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably. I can't. Yeah. I mean, those are all supporting characters anyway. You know, so you wouldn't really need like a. It's not even a team. It's just you know, you get you could hire some good no names to cover all those other guys. Yeah. Knowing Hollywood, like Maul would under end up being like a German or something instead of an Australian or like something would be kind of screwy, but well, it would be kind of like I, I mean, I think we talked before about how the new universe is similar to some of the uh uh Golan Globus movies of the of the day. Um, yeah. And um you can imagine like making one high budget Mark Hazard movie and then they come back with a se- cheapy sequel and they completely <laughs> change the cast and <laughs> character very true to the original material <laughs> anyway. yeah hey well they had their uh, Stallone right so over the top yeah, yeah. I think it did didn't they do Cobra also oh you're right you're right yeah, was, I mean that was the less popular Stallone movie, but <laughs> Over the Top was great. So like, if you could capture some of that, uh, you know, like know. Stallone and his kid and the truck and the arm wrestling, but here you got Mark Hazard and his kid, you know, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I I miss Scotty. <laughs> all the all the fun has been sucked out of the book without like the Mark Hazard intimidating, you know his uh, ex-wife's new husband and that kind of stuff. But we still have an action book, so. We do. Enjoy it while we can. Um, yeah. yeah, only a couple issues left. Let's hope we can get him out of prison by then. <laughs> we'll see. Alrighty, well, let's uh, take a break, quick break, and come back with some Kickers, Inc. Alright, I'm ready. <laughs> Welcome back. We're uh, gonna go ahead and jump on into the second book, Kickers Inc. Number Nine, which was again cover dated July 1987, and hit the stands March 31st, 1987. Um, to recap a bit, um, last issue had been the Super Bowl issue. Um, and while the Smashers were in the Super Bowl playing the Austin Wreckers, Jack had uh, gone to the league doctor. Um, strange guy. Yeah. And uh, tried to get tested to see that he was you know, clean of steroids or whatever. There was um, some arguments with Coach Kirby and the owner, Christine Chase. And in the end, Jack decided not to appear at the Super Bowl. He just sort of hid out in the stands and um, watched his team lose to the Austin Records. Um, it was a little, I don't know, like a, a, like a hard dilemma for him to overcome. And there seemed to be several plot threads that were opened up 
of what this test was going to be and what the league would do and like a mysterious guy who was watching Jack. So you'd think you'd get some resolution on those things in the next issue, wouldn't you? You would think, <laughs> but um, we'll, st- well, well, we'll start off with the, the good parts, um, which is the cover. It's a um, penciled by Mike Mignola and inked by Walter Simonson. Um, nice uh, action. Uh, it's, you know, it's the classic Magnolia, Magnolia style. If you, you thought to yourself, I wonder what a picture of the kicker's ink running towards us as drawn by Mike Magnolia would look like. This is it exactly. <laughs> See, I hadn't realized, uh, like uh, introduced to Magnolia just purely from Hellboy and re- always really liking that and the art style and stuff. But I did not, did not realize he was part of the uh, no feet crew kind of, of artists. Yeah, he he definitely they they sort of fade away to they get the ground and he um I had just not noticed until someone said that he doesn't do overhead shots. And so if you tell him, you know, and then the crew is like do like an overhead of the gang running down the hallway, he'll just do like a shot like this that's uh, <laughs> at eye level. Like, nope, this is my thing, this is what you're getting. <laughs> That's, you know, how I look my best. That's, uh, I, I know my, my strengths and I will play to them. I mean, um, he, you know, he's definitely a guy who knows a lot of composition and um, how to sort of balance out uh, a, a picture. Um, yeah, he was definitely this, one of my favorite artists. The uh, At this time, I mean, he's been doing, I think, like Rocket Raccoon miniseries and these sort of odd things here and there. So it really wouldn't have been too much of a stretch to have him do a whole issue at some point. But it um, doesn't look like that happened. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the, if the uh, new universe had the budget it was supposed to, I mean, we might have had Simonson, we might have had Mignola, we might have had quite a bit of interesting well i i mean manola i don't think was like well paid at this point so he was just like another cheap dude Mm. around the bullpen as near as i can tell but um he i people could spot talent on him um anyway the logo is in red which is a little new Uh, but inside we have a splash page and the title of the story, May the Best Sport Win. Is that what they told us it was going to be? Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, okay. We're, we're um, getting closer to accuracy here. Amazing. The um, splash is just Jack Magnaconti standing there with a brick wall. And they're watching a big TV at, I guess, the Kickers Inc. headquarters. And... Um, he, he's they're saying that they get a lot of um, appeals for help through Kickers Inc., but some of them are less than honest. Um, Jack is saying, this is insane. How many fraudulent requests have we seen today, Brick? Beats me, Jack. I can't count that high. And they're watching some like videotape, I guess, of a guy saying, look, you know, sure, I, you know, all these people are living on worthless swamp land, but 
if you, the Kickers Inc. put their name on it, it would surely become a good investment for everyone. <laughs> um, you know what? Like 2020, like he's probably right. <laughs> you know, it's like so many like places developed for resorts or uh, Airbnbs and rental places. Yeah, I mean, it was scam. Uh, could have actually turned out well. Couldn't. If you hold off to land long enough, uh, I guess it becomes valuable. I don't so know that Kicker's Inc. branded sh shack in the swamp is uh, necessarily <laughs> going to draw people, though. Well, Kicker's Inc.'s branded website has done big gangbusters for us. <laughs> Let's see. So the writer is Dwight John Zimmerman instead of uh, Ron Altaville and forget that his like it was a two-person uh, writing team the last couple of issues but yeah. Alan Kepperberg still on layouts and headings and, uh, so getting into the story we have um, the rest of Kickers Inc Dasher Suicide and Darlene standing around also bemoaning the lack of good leads Yo, Suicide, listen to this pitch. Yo, yourself, Dasher. Mine's worse. Any luck, doll? That's Darlene. No, I never dreamed there could be so many kooks. Um, it is uh, the layout in this page and a lot of the follow-up pages are sort of um, very vertical panels. So like the page is divided in half, top to bottom, and then four very thin panels on uh, on each half, um, which makes it a little harder to fit everyone in sometimes. But yeah, the dialogue bubbles take up most of the image. You kind of go in like up and down, like dialogue, figure, more dialogue, and then back up in the next panel. Um, anyway, suddenly, hello there. Mess Songer's telegram service says, and it's it's a girl from a singing telegram service. Surely this yeah. would be the wacky high adventure we need to have. It took me a minute to recognize it's messengers with the word song crammed in the middle of it. But yeah, I once I realized I was going to have to say that out loud, I was like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Well, there's that, and then there you can sing the telegram. I can part. sing. Come on along and listen to today's speech by CEC. Huh? <laughs> Everyone is confused. RSVP, RSVP for today, 2.30. The Smasher's front office, casual dress. Signed, Lynn Dawson, Smasher's social events coach. Um, I okay, so it's former Chiefs good. quarterback Lynn Dawson. Is there okay? <laughs> I they 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 gave his name once and then uh referred to him as Len for the rest of the book. And I was took me forever to find that where his, his last name was dropped here, but yeah, anyway, yeah, it's like an old timey football player name. Okay. Which throws me off because, like, yeah, I had to look it up to kind of remember who it was. He played for Kansas City, but it was like a real common name. So I was like, uh, why is this? 
Why is Len Dawson here? <laughs> but it's not the football player. Is not meant to be the football player. Okay. Yeah, he um, he's well as they they explain in a second. Social events coach. Is this a put on or what? And uh, Dasher ch- pipes in with, hmm, I heard the new owner put one of her gigolo boyfriends on the payroll. And uh, Darlene says that's unfair, but that and that if uh, she was a widow who inherited the Smashers from her legendary husband, Bear Chase, who helped found the league, you know, she'd want someone around on her side too. And uh, you know, the, the others are like, well, okay, fair enough, point made. So I guess uh, I'm going to go, everyone else, and everyone says they want to go including Darlene, who's not a smasher. Um, and Jack says that even though I'm suspended, I'm still part of the team. Well, then we'll um, call in their RSVP. And uh, they mentioned that when Bear made an off-season speech, it was bad news. I wonder what his widow has planned. Um, so I guess we just learned that Jack was suspended. So Jack has been suspended with without... Any more details than that? He's also and apparently hopefully. back back with Darlene because he like left her at the end of the other one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, you know, I just got a lot of details about this bear chase guy who's such a big deal. You almost expect to, you know, him to pop up uh, later in the story. Totally irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> he has no bearing on the story. Oh, that's bad. Sorry. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. Okay. Ah, good stuff. Anyway, at the same time, at the exclusive Long Island Tennis Club, so they're out on Long Island, and um, we see um, Christine Chase, or as they call her here, CC Chase, or CC cubic centimeter. The uh, talking to her boyfriend slash uh, assistant, Len. And uh, yeah, he's, I guess he drove them late. And she's like, I don't keep you around to make boringly bourgeois excuses. Fortunately, your tennis and other skills compensate for your atrocious driving. Of course, he's saying you're absolutely connect. Correct. Who quits sniveling? Is this Dracula and Renfield now? I don't know. I was getting a little more of a Mr. Burns Smithers vibe from you personally, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, Christine is a fairly young woman, um, but um, as opposed to previous uh, appearances, she now has like a blonde streak in her hair. And she's uh, accompanied by Len, who's yeah, this 70s slash 80s looking guy, kind of a Chuck Harrington type, um, except with dark hair. And, uh, yeah. but like, like uh, what we call, now call a porn stash. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, sweater tied around the neck kind of look too. So ready for the tennis club. And um, let's see. So someone comes in and says the. Uh, Smashers called back and they RSVP'd that they'll be at this meeting. And she's like, 
Well, don't bother me now with these vulgar affairs when I'm on my way to play a civilized sport. So Len takes the messages and says everyone plans to attend. Of course they do. Should just keep going with the Mr. Burns there, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, it is uh, a woman. Yeah, that's difficult to pull off. Um, so she uh she kind of bosses him around a little bit more. Um, and they go to meet another couple, Eric and Georgette. And they have a very catty greeting for each other, the two ladies. Cece Dolly, and you look stunningly divine and uh, I, anyway the, the the two guys are there are like wow bring out the cat claws ladies um so they're very both these sort of very rich um upper crust um stereotype w women yeah and um kind of their gigolos or something I guess they would be like real housewives in modern era kind of types, right? Okay. Like one of them's kind of making fun of the other one and stealthily calling her old, and the other one is making fun of, or Cece is making fun of Georgette and kind of saying that she's sleeping with the tennis guy. <laughs> yeah, I trust he's taught you some moves you can use on court as well. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, CC proposes they spice up the game, and Georgette says, um, how about $10,000? Really, Georgette, one of your less charming traits is you think too small in money and in men. Snap! Man, he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bet is $50,000. You can serve first. So they start playing, and Eric, who is uh, shouting in German, is apparently a top-seeded tennis pro. But Cece, we are surprised to learn, is a three-time number one ranked amateur. And Cece and Len soon win the first set, six to four. The second set, um, Len starts complaining that she cuts him off, and she tells him to just go take a hike. So he basically leaves her to to do the uh, face-off against Eric and Georgette. And as it says, 10 minutes later, that's it. I win. 6-4, 6-2, Mein Gott, never have I been so humiliated. <laughs> oh. Okay. And, and after multiple reads, I'm kind of taking this as the lady new to through the mat, throw the match, even though she doesn't like CC. You know, something would have went down where you know she would have exerted her power and like caused like had a meltdown and caused some problems. Because how in the world does even a really great tennis player beat two people, one of which is a pro? Right? Eh. <laughs> but either way, they're showing her off to be a, a great tennis player. Yeah, um, that's a little what I suspicious. took from it. But perhaps you're you know, you've got a point as we later get further into the story with with that uh, approach as well the uh <laughs> yeah it's more catty comments don't take it so hard eric after all we know how much you like to be beaten don't we georgette and she smacks him on the butt with the tennis racket <laughs> <laughs> and 
that's where I kind of take it. Like she's very domineering over everybody. So like, you know, like she, Georgette might get in her little jabs here and there, but she knows that she's got to let this lady win or there's going to be hell to pay or something. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's me filling in the blanks in my own head. I think though. I think that's, that's a reasonable um, extrapolation. So they headed to the lounge and they get some uh, drinks and the waiter hands her um, paper. Oh, the check. Um, what is it a bill? It's a subpoena. Caesar's Towers is demanding restitution on my half million dollar gambling debt. The nerve. Uh, Palace Casino at least waited until I owed a million dollars. <laughs> Whoops. Nice. The Georgette is, uh, you know, digs in with the knives. I see, see, I'm crushed that you kept hidden from me your own reduced circumstances. Maybe we should have a charity drive for you. I have more than enough to pay my debts. Um, so she's mad and um, those arrogant Philistines can try to force the common concerns of the mundane world on me all they want. <laughs> Well, maybe, yeah. It's, Who is this person? <laughs> it's like, actually, yeah, good. Like Smithers uh, once said, you know, I uh, it's when he, uh, when Mr. Burns did something else that he devolved into cartoonish supervillainry. Yeah. And that's about what Christine Chase is at this um, appearance. She's yeah. uh, sort of one of these movies where like, snobs versus slobs and she's definitely the snob so i guess that puts our kickers as the slobs but anyway. oh what was the base there was a baseball movie major league yeah right this that, is giving me major league vibes yeah that's i mean i thought of that before when i was reading kickers but i it i i couldn't remember why but this is um perhaps why that that name had come come up to me too yeah the owner is a woman who inherited the team or something and is really mean to the team yeah yeah so the smashers press room and jack is um for some reason taking the podium while everyone's waiting for cc who is late and he's uh, sort of apologizing uh, ladies and gentlemen of the press, I know you've been here for over 30 minutes, but if you'll please be a little more patient. Candid, Mr. Magnificent, maybe high-paid jocks like you can afford to believe your society deem owner is a fashionably late to a conference she called. But we ain't. We got deadlines, Buster. Since when you're not... What's the... Since you're here to tell us things, how about you? What's the real story about your drug problem? And somewhere in the back, someone's thinking, wow, Arnie Beaker sure knows how to rub salt in wounds before he makes them. Oh. Wait, how do you rub a wound before <laughs> you make the wound? <laughs> He's pre-salting his wounds. People are certainly talking a lot about this Arnie Becker. He must be quite a guy. <laughs> I was excited to hear your Arnie Beaker, though. <laughs> I, I, For lack I mean, of Coach Kirby, I guess we have Arnie. Yeah, he's a uh, this one of these like um, I don't know, uh, heavy and disheveled and like loud sports coat guys. So um, 
He's he, he continues to shout at Jack, uh, who who says that the announcement to the I'll leave that announcement to the investigating committee, which will find me innocent. So Jack's been suspended, but he's still being investigated. Hogwash! They don't suspend the innocent, Buster. <laughs> that public relations con game you call Kickers Inc. may fool some people, but not Arnie Beaker. And Brick starts carrying him out. But um, they see CC and Len coming in, so they he drops them and they go back and uh, everyone uh, sort of assumes the position for the regular press conference. CC just storms up there and, um, you know, several more statements about how she doesn't want to deal with any of these people or anything involved with the team. And uh, she says, I called you here to inform you I've signed a letter of intent to sell the New York Smashers. Buyers are a consortium of LA investors who plan to establish the team there. And the sale will be finalized in three weeks. LA has a team. Yeah, the LA runners. What the heck? <laughs> and, and if the NFL exists, then this is also the time period where LA had the, both the Rams and the Raiders. So that would be four LA football squads. I mean, it's a big city, but uh, plus all the college teams. Oh, so yeah, it's perfect though because, like, really in the NFL for a long time, the storylines, you know, were like there was always coaches or, or I'm sorry, owners that were threatening to sell their team to LA. You know, so like if you were a small market team, it's like, oh, well, if you don't build us a new stadium, we can just move to L.A. They can have a new team. Oh, then, yeah. Strangely enough, then all the teams moved out of L.A. You know, the Raiders went back to <laughs> Oakland and then Las Vegas and then the Rams went to uh, St. Louis. And, you know, it, it never happened uh, until pretty recently, I guess. But. Uh, yeah, that was always the boogeyman in the NFL. Like if, if you're the small team like Buffalo or, um, you know, one of the lesser teams, if you're like, oh, well, we can just sell sell the team to L.A. Tons of people there. Interesting. So it kind of works on that level for me. Though it's totally stupid because there's like eight teams in this league that we know of and one of them is already L.A. So. Uh, this Maybe they're talking about East L.A. I think it's the only West Coast team too, right? We've got Denver and Austin, but yeah, I mean San Francisco or Oakland could definitely handle a team or two. So let's see. Arnie um pops up right away. Why? And Christine takes this uh, like they take a panel to like show that she's stunned that anyone asked a question. <clears throat> and then she uh Never in her entire life has she had to justify her decisions, not even to her late husband. And uh, so she just storms off, like <laughs> nose in the air. How about, how about that narration in like the top middle panel? Arnie's acid-edged question unleashes a verbal fusillade from the rest. It is now Christine Chase's turn to be stunned. <laughs> like, oof, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's, that's I, heavy wordage for Kicker's Inc., honestly. Yeah, I I mean, there were a lot of big words I didn't want to. That's fine. No, it's, uh, yeah. 
they're very um it's a little over the top but it kind of establishes her character as being over the top so yeah Anyway, she's like, until you uncultured louts learn how to respect your betters, you'll learn nothing more from me. I mean, yeah. This is, um, you know, you, I, it, it's like a guy with the, like, the long mustache twirling it and like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Jack is like, what are you doing, Arnie? to the reporter and he's like this is the best thing to happen since the Dodgers left for uh, LA. Magna Kani, I'm going to crucify that money grubbing society leech in my column. She's going to learn that the real sports power in this town is the fans and that Arnie Beaker is their mouthpiece. <laughs> or maybe the real power is people with incredible piles of money but you know Arnie maybe the fans too. <laughs> <laughs> Arnie, you haven't learned the limits of democracy, have you? <laughs> Arnie has a, an inflated sense of self-worth, and we'll just let him roll with it. So we're at uh, one week later at a United Charities banquet honoring the owners and players for their fundraising. Uh, they say that uh, the fans are mad at CC, and uh, well, uh, Arnie's articles have them up i guess and um let's see jack is talking to darlene and brick when uh suddenly you'll never live to sell the smashers some guy comes <laughs> in and is like coming at christine with a knife and uh, jack is thinking to himself as he's jumping in between them taking a big risk of revealing my edge uh oh but I can't let this maniac kill Cece. So the guy like knifes him in the tux, which uh, just hurts the guy's wrist, I guess. Jack has grabbed it. But it did manage to like hit the, hit him with the knife pretty hard, which would have seriously hurt a normal person. The fight is over in less than 10 seconds. The only casualty, Jack's tux. The fact that it immediately arouses Arnie's suspicions. Pretty quick work, Magnacani. Too quick for a normal man, but not for one on drugs. Is that <laughs> how drugs work? <laughs> it makes you like, uh, you know, aware of your surroundings, uh, hyper vigilant, and uh, you know, stronger and more powerful. I don't know why kids get involved with these things. Anyway. Who invited Arnie to the fundraising dinner anyway? He's <laughs> just wearing the same jacket he always wears. You can imagine him shouting like, press pass, Arnie's here. <laughs> um, so Jack responds, you're right, Arnie. I was on a drug. Adrenaline. Also, I was high on life and America. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got to say to today. If you'll excuse me. And uh, so... Christine's like, well, I guess I owe you my life. And Jack's just like, look, just give me an answer. Why are you selling the Smashers? She tells him to come to her place tomorrow. Jack. The next and, day. And bring your swim trunks. <laughs> so he shows up and uh, Butler shows her in and she's, Jack's impressed. It's, you know, 
star quarterbacks make a very modest salary at this point in history, I guess. Um, and he's thinking as he goes, I wonder what, what the deal is. And she gets, uh, she gets a look at him and is like, you look tense. Maybe you'd enjoy a refreshing swim in my pool. Eh, no, thanks. Just give me that answer. <laughs> Thinking about it now, she wants him to jump in the pool with her naked boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, okay. What yeah. kind of party is this? Um, so she tells him she's smelling the smashers to pay some sizable gambling debts. What? You can't be serious. And she says, you know, these casinos need their money now or something. And uh, even though I have a lot of money, you know, I can. I don't really like dealing with any of you, so I just want to get rid of this. And uh, he talks some more about Bear Chase, you know, like we all do. And uh, then Len, who I guess is, as we say, naked in the pool, it's like, <laughs> excuse me, CC, but perhaps Magna Kani would be willing to put his money where his mouth is. What do you mean? Are you suggesting a wager of some sort, Len? Fascinating. Do go on. <laughs> And then he puts it a little on the nose with, remember a few years ago, the contest between Billy Jean King and Bobby Riggs? Basically, my idea is the same. A tennis match between you two with the fate of the Smashers as the prize. So if CC wins, the team goes to LA. And if Magnacani does, it stays. Well, I think it's a marvelous idea. Jack's not into it at all. Well, thanks, CC. I only suggested because I thought Magna Conti cared about the fans. Seems I was wrong. Hmm. I feel uh, like former Chiefs quarterback Len Dawson naked in the pool here is actually trying to help Jack, maybe? Like, give him right. an out? It's also possible this was a setup that it was CC's idea in the first place. I don't know. Yeah, true. He's, he's like, I may know how to play tennis, but you're afraid a woman might defeat you, correct? he's like okay i know she had an ulterior motive and i fell into flat into her trap the only way out is to accept and hope my edge can even the odds some kind of machiavellian power play going on here unbelievable he um if this is the only way then you got yourself a match good day so she says uh well, he, he, he takes off, and the next day at the health club, he is playing tennis with Darlene, and um, he's talking about how maybe his edge is, you know, he's overpowering his serves, and he has to uh, figure out how to, he's not like a great tennis player, but he is super powered, which you would think would be like, okay, well, then he's definitely going to win, right? But he's also like, doesn't always control it very well, which has been an issue on the football field. So he's like, unless I can control my enhanced abilities, the fans will lose their team and I'll lose you. And I want that to happen. And then uh, Len Dawson stops by. I'd like to speak to your husband alone. Uh, and as Darlene leaves, <laughs> Len goes, my compliments, Jack. A man's choice in women is a window into his character. Yours tells me you can make a wise decision. <laughs> now strip down and get in the pool with me. <laughs> Wait, no, get, I didn't say that. <laughs> get to the point, Len. 
So he tells him, win the match and CC will disgrace you off the team, will kick you off the team in disgrace. And believe me, she knows how to ruin people. But if you lose, you'll not only stay, but your prom- chances of promotion to coach will be assured. You want me to throw the game? Exactly. Anyway, see you next week. I arranged for a charity uh, cable uh, coverage. Uh, should be quite a show, no? Jack's like, Erling comes back and is like, um, he looks happy. What do you say? Um, nothing. And then she's like, if you can't, that does it. If you can't trust me with the truth, then how can I trust you in the future of our relationship? Find yourself another partner, Jack. I'm finished. Is she talking about tennis or marriage? That's the question. It looks like she's just leaving him, but no. That uh, that evening, he's working out with like you know 800 pounds of dumbbells. And... <laughs> Where did that even come from? Like the bar on that thing is like thick as his arm. Like when he ordered that thing up, <laughs> I need one that's like cartoonishly large. Could you just? Give me something in that size. Uh, he starts doing more workouts and talking to himself. Got to work this rage out of my system. And uh, yeah, how dare anyone ask Jack Magna Conti to not play honestly in a sporting competition? <laughs> <laughs> it's really got to be tearing him up inside. He doesn't know how, you know, those, those herbal supplements that his brother gave him all those years. That's perfectly legit. And <laughs> probably. Um, Brick Wall comes by and uh, says, he's, I've come to help a friend in need. Someone who's got something locked up so tight inside it might explode trying to get out. And uh, they talk a bit, but uh, he, he confesses to Brick that Len ordered me to deliberately lose. If I do, I can kiss my self-respect goodbye. If I play to win, like I've always done, CC will kick me off the team and wreck my reputation. No matter which way I look at it, I can't win. I can only lose. Well, Rick drops some wisdom on him. My granddaddy knew a lot about losing. Rural Alabama taught him some hard lessons. And uh, it's not, he tells him, it's not important what you other what folks think of you, but what you think of yourself. So do what you think is best, Jack. Mm. Okay. He must be talking about his grandfather playing for like Alabama's college tennis team, right? <laughs> what else could he be meaning there? Uh, he was in the Crimson Tide, I guess. Yeah, Roll Tide. One week later at the Coliseum, they've got a packed Coliseum uh, there to, to watch this uh, event. Wow, it's packed. They make sure everyone gets their money's worth. So CC comes out, and uh, she's well aware of um, what Lennon said. Those pitiful fools! If only they knew the outcome has already been decided. This is one victory I shall always savor. Mm. And she's got cool purple sunglasses on. Um, Jack starts off with. Uh, a strong serve as the challenger. He's uh, first serve as his. And um, he goes right by her. And she's thinking, 
Good Lord, I've never seen a ball fly by so fast. She's confused, wondering if I'm playing by her rules or not. Here's where I show her once and for all. I'm playing this game for the fans. <laughs> sure. No. <laughs> sure you are, Jack. Sure you are. The ball goes straight by her. I mean, doesn't hit the ground or anything. He just aced the first game. Surely he can't be out to win this match. Um, so she talks to Len for a second. And you did tell him to throw the match, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I told him. Yeah, don't worry. Man. And so she barely, her serve barely clears the net. And it then the return goes right by her. I once worried that my edge would destroy the challenge in sports by making them too easy to play, but I'm not worrying now. CC gave me a reason to continue. The fans, they deserve my all, and they're getting it. <laughs> um, CC is playing at her peak to no avail. As her losses mount, so do her outbursts of temper. She starts yelling at the ref. Or, is it a ref? Coach, yeah, ref, judge, judge, yeah, okay, tennis <laughs> lady in lifeguard chair. <laughs> Such displays leave Jack unmoved. The only delay of what has become obvious to all Jack Magnaconti will not only win, he will triumph with a shutout. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Jack. <laughs> you, you beat the crap out of some woman who's just a rich lady. <laughs> I mean, Jack is not just a man and a professional athlete, but he is super powered. <laughs> and annoyed. <laughs> Fueled by rage, as I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the original battle of the sexes tennis match was kind of like you know, an older, you know, washed up tennis pro against like a top of the line women's tennis player right so like trying to even the the odds a little bit yeah he was in his 50s i think and uh she was i don't know 30-ish or so definitely like top of the the game at the time so yeah it was um i mean yeah it, it's like tennis is not jack's sport and so you're like Okay, if, if you put like a woman who's actually very, very good at tennis versus like a guy who's in great shape, but, you know, it's not his sport, so he doesn't, you know, he's not going to be great at it. Maybe this balances out, but throwing in the superpowers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if she was as good as she was in the beginning and he was just, you know, really athletic guy who knows how to play, like, she would have smoked him, I think, right? Just in terms of like knowing all the how to serve and ball placement and all that stuff. But you know, he must have figured out how to do it, you know, super fast, can get to the ball at any time, can hit it harder than she can return. So got more than she bargained for there. <laughs> I um yeah, we'll recap a little bit more of this, I guess. Um, even as Jack accepts the acclaim from the fans, he knows it's a bittersweet victory. And uh, she is uh, furious. She takes it out on Len. 
should never have listened to you. Your advice has made me a laughing stock. Uh, it's over between us. He sends him packing with nothing but the shirt on his back, I guess. And then uh, they, they, as they shake hands over by the, um, the net, uh, Jack and CC. Well, I guess this is it, CC. I guess I better stop at the stadium and pack since I won't be with the Smashers anymore. What? Fire Mr. Magnacotti at the height of his victory in front of his fans? Nonsense. You won the match. The team will stay in New York and I'll pay my debts with other funds. Congratulations. You've earned this triumph and all that goes with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that seems a little out of character. <laughs> During the drive home, Jack finally tells his wife everything about uh, the, them trying to fix the match. And she, uh, I guess, rolls over. Jack, I actually defended her. I can't believe I was such a fool. Why didn't she fire you? So, uh, she, fans must love me too much. I don't know. The fans well, have all the power. Arnie Beaker was on my side, and that's that proved to be telegram for Mr. Magna Conti. Hmm, maybe this is a... And they don't sing it, but it's from Mrs. Chase. I'm fired. <laughs> She's demanding the uh, football commission reassess the findings of the drug investigation. <laughs> So she's like, Darlene's mad, but uh, Jack's like, quiet. Don't give her the satisfaction. See that limo over there? You didn't notice the limo when you were driving in? Okay. Um, yeah, we see Cece is in her limo watching and gloating over our outrage. Yes, you had your moment of glory, Mr. Magnacondi. And now you're going to pay for the humiliation you caused me in ways you never thought possible. When I am finished, should I just yeah. when I am <laughs> finished, your friends will hate you, your wife will leave you, and you will come to find yourself seeking solace in my arms. It is then that I will destroy you. Sheesh. <laughs> really runs hot and cold there. I don't know. She's gonna uh, team up with the fist. <laughs> so yeah, it's I don't know. Like I got like whiplash from those last couple of pages. He wins, okay? And she changed her mind. Huh? Half a page later. And she changes it again. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, she, it was kind of hinted at before that she was kind of, um, you know, had a, some interest in uh, Jack as... Um, yeah, like when she invited him over and then he's like, I'm just here to talk about the Smashers. And she's like, oh, oh, you really are just here for that. Okay. Don't you want to go in the pool? Uh, fun times in the pool. No, thank you. Yeah, the... Um, um, as I think I said last week, this was, uh, of all the issues of the Kickers, which I read, I don't know how many years ago, this was the one story that stuck out in my mind. It's like, so crazy and over the top that I remembered it. Yeah. It's I mean, <laughs> the, the uh, whatever, battle of the sexes angle. And as we just said, 
but not just between like an older out of shape guy and a young athletic woman, but between a guy who's a professional athlete at the top of his form. Plus he has superpowers. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And we got to remember like of the, there, I think there was three battle of the sexes tennis matches in history. And like, you know, the, the woman tennis player only won once. There was other ones. What? Yeah, there was an early, earlier one with the same guy, um, and then there was like a Jimmy Connors, Martina Navratilova one or something. Oh, I was just thinking there was there used to be a big thing online about how Venus and Serena were like not just the best uh, women tennis players, but the best tennis players, perhaps yeah. the best athletes ever. And right. no man could ever compete with them, <laughs> except so, that like the number two hundredth like guy or something had had beaten them in a sort of a friendly match ages and ages ago. Yeah, I mean, like I think some of the male guys serve those like their tennis serves are like thirty miles an hour faster. You know, it's like that might take a little work to adjust to. But I mean, yeah, the. Not to take anything away from them, but it's, it's a totally different, <laughs> different world. It's yeah, a... this is a weird book. Like, uh, I, I struggle with Christine Chase's 180 degree personality change. I mean, before she was just kind of a hard, hard ass, I guess. And now it's, yeah, like, like I said, cartoonish supervillainry. Yeah. Like before she seemed kind of invested, like she cared about the team and football and all that stuff. Now she's like, you know, couldn't care less about football. Uh, she's got a gambling problem. She's a rich snob. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, you should, they, they really dumped a lot of characterization into her and it doesn't all kind of go together very well. Maybe this is her evil twin sister. Right. I mean, it's the, and just for some reason, nobody notices like the skunk stripe of white hair that showed up or thing. She's like, oh, you know, just a style choice. I dyed it or something. But, you know, the real Christine Chase is like locked in the basement in the stadium or something. Not bad. Not bad. The, or it's been uh... kidnapped by the fist. I'm trying to force them back into the story because I miss them. <laughs> Is it gem and the holograms? There was like a villain with a streak in her hair, or like mm. um, Josie and the Pussycats, or something like that. Yeah, my knowledge of either of them is pretty weak. So, but yeah, those aren't Marvel comics, and I don't know. Yeah, it it's it. The whole thing was so bizarre. It's funny in a way, but not in the sort of. Um, fun adventure way that we had the last couple of issues so yeah i've, I've enjoyed the last couple of uh, quite a bit but then this one is a, is definitely a left turn kickers um you know adventures was like the first page and a half maybe and it was just them complaining that no one had had a real good case for them So, yeah, is this the first time where we also have Jack in like a different colored outfit, like on the cover, and then like here and near the end, like he's got like a color river swapped version of the kicker's outfit, like instead of like being the same color as everybody else? 
I don't remember. Maybe. And like everybody's in their kickers outfits all the time, it seems though, too. Like well, we're we're in the off season, you know. So I think like, uh, well the cover has like the bandanas just visible on a couple of them. You'd mentioned before that uh, or caught before that they sort of all always like each character had it in a different spot. Yeah. Um, but then like on the splash, both the uh, Rick and Jack are wearing it as a scarf on their neck. So but yeah, like I think, yeah, pretty much scrolling through or paging through, you know, every at every time we see any of the players, they're always wearing their kicker's ink gear, which is definitely different from what we've had in the past, where it was just their uniform for when they're doing kicker stuff and even then like they didn't weren't wearing it that consistently so mm, yeah okay it's kind of a it feels odd here like that they're hanging out at, at the home or you know they're going to a press conference you know wearing their action gear yeah they i mean the, uh, the art team's been the same for the last couple of issues so that shouldn't have been uh discontinuity but i don't know perhaps editorials like get them in the uniforms as much as we can and maybe that'll help sort of solidify people's uh, identification of them we don't do uniforms in the new universe you do now (laughs) apparently i also like at the very end we also have a punisher ad so it's like I'll get you, Jack Nakanti. In the end, I will destroy you. And then there's the Punisher with his gun. If you're guilty, you're dead. So maybe the Punisher's coming coming in. Hmm. Ah, I mean, I don't even know like how to grade this because I <laughs> I enjoy it in some ways and I'm, like annoyed in others. So it just sort of it's like a biphasic grade that averages out to something. Um, I don't know. You 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 tell me yours. Where are you go first. Yeah, I I think I had that trouble uh, in in other issues of New Universe Comics too, or like you know taking it on its own, taking it deadly serious. Like you know, there's some problems. Taking it as like so bad it's good, kind of fun, stupid comic booky stuff. Then you know, it's got some bonuses. So. I'm going to rest the same where I same place I rested on in Mark Hazard Mark. You know, for me, it's a downgrade from the storyline I've really been enjoying. Um, it's a wacky interlude, but maybe not. It's going to continue the story. So I'm, I'm C plus. Art's okay. Yeah, yeah i see the the personality shift as like a major flaw honestly like i think it's it kind of works like you just want to read something fun like this is it uh but if we're trying to keep the story which i've been enjoying then it's like this is a mess so yeah yeah that puts it in the problem category for me i don't know i'll i'll be a generous b minus i don't know what to tell you with it (laughs) Um, There was actually another, uh, there was a TV series called First and Ten. It had one of the women from Designing Women in it. Oh, I don't know. A a, a woman who um, 
inherits a football team from her rich husband or something. So she becomes, she becomes the, um, the owner and it's like, you know, they say it's basically the football version of major league to baseball. So I don't know. Mm. Um, Have you seen it? No, but it was actually running in the late eighties. So I'm kind of wondering if this was like part of the influence for it. Like, yeah, what if uh, the owner of the team's a woman? Okay, so what do we do with that a couple months later? Um, I don't know. Make her a jerk, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, here's what you do. Like, what do we do? Like, if if it's off-season, he's not playing football anymore, what kind of adventures can we have them go on? Oh, well, maybe Kicker's Inc. adventures and responding to trouble and people in need? <laughs> like, the A-team kind of stuff? Like, I mean, Maybe you have a crossover with Mark Hazard Merck where they're rescuing some fighter pilot or something. I don't know. Use one of those stories. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The whole cast of the entire new universe meets in Afghanistan and the wastes and things out. I don't know. That's uh, kind of what I'm afraid of at this point. I'll be oh, yeah. It's a... Um... I don't know. It is so weird. It's kind of, yeah, falling into like so bad it's good, but not so bad it's very good. Just kind of. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, frustrations, frustrations. I couldn't think of like who I would want to play Christine Chase in a movie either. It seemed like I should be able to think of some actress that, that like plays that um, that character and I couldn't Nothing came up. Yeah. But let's see. So the artist, um, the artist choices for Kickers Inc. Let's see. Who did that? So yeah, so Friends. Oh, all the way. Oh, what's that? Oh, you're looking at the artist? Ron Friends did the first couple issues, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Reb Brown as Jack Magnaconti, who I had definitely had no clue who that was. Sadly, uh, I had a pretty good clue because he's in uh, a famous mystery science theater called Space Mutiny. Mm, that's not a good sign for his acting career. Yeah, it was. And uh, he was also your hunter from the future. And like Captain America or something? Also Captain America, yes. And it just looks like a beefy dude. Yeah, he's just, I thought he was just like a guy who was a football player and then he did, um, you know, got into acting and he was never, you know, got very far with it. But he has kind of a baby face, you know what I mean? Mm. I don't really, Jack, uh, yeah, didn't doesn't really like sell that for me. And he's maybe a little beefier than I think of uh, Jack. I don't know. I just... Uh, like we were talking about uh, Mark Hazard before having like a real heft to you. That's not like a quarterback physique, right? I mean, yeah. Hey. Well, now he's got like, you know, because he beefed up when he got his powers too. Um, yeah, that, I don't know. Like for the lead, <laughs> some, you know, direct to video kind of. Yeah. Maybe a poor choice, but if you're just kind of casting it based on like look, I mean, he's he's big. Oh, so, um, okay. 
I, I had a, a weird choice, but as scrolling through, uh, it probably would be pushing it in terms of age, but uh, Jack has white hair. Uh, I'd go Robert Redford. Ooh, interesting. He's got the kind of wavy hair. He's a good actor. He could bulk up a little bit and I think pull it off. Interesting. <laughs> um, I just came up planks. Who is the um, Jim? Who is the like the quarterback for the Chicago Bears that were kind Jim of, McMahon? Jim McMahon, yeah. Didn't he go into acting? No, I don't no? think so. Okay, I think he just got really injured and then, oh. you know, brain injury and no longer in the league. Kind of. No, Brian Bosworth. That was the yeah, Bosworth's a good one. There you go. Still not quite the, but I'm looking for that. No, I wouldn't pick Bosworth. <laughs> so I'm afraid I don't have a good one uh, for the kickers. Next up, Doll. We have, and like the, they admit that they don't expect you to know this person, Pamela Rossi, a solid gold dancer. Did you look her up? Yeah, by image, it looks pretty good. That's definitely, yeah, like you, you can... Uh, like the hair? Make that one work, yeah. 80s hair, red, uh, attractive, uh, great shape. Uh, yeah. And she asked? Dancer. You don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess, there. yeah, she was one of these, like, um, had some minor roles here and there, and uh, it, I, I don't know. Stayed with her dancing more, apparently. She would uh, like dance teaching or something in the LA area. Dasher is 100% on the money, I would say. Yeah, it's hard to argue. Billy D. Billy, Williams. Billy D. I mean, we when we first saw Dasher, we were like, this is Billy D. Williams in comic book form. So fair enough. Um, suicide, however. Another mystery uh, casting choice, James Darren. Um, so I looked, we had to look him up, I guess. Yeah, that's um, for sure. That's that's a guy. <laughs> he's a guy who, um, he was like a um, teen beach movie heartthrob in the 60s, kind of. Yeah, it seemed like way old. Yeah, but that sort of, I don't know, um, Frankie and Annette kind of movie. Um, so who's that? Frankie Avalon? Anyway, uh, he's this like very. I was Italian born in 1980. Looking... Yeah, that's over my head. <laughs> he's this very Italian-looking guy who, um, at this point, is is a little old for it. But you, you can imagine like a younger, an age-appropriate version of him being okay. Um, yeah, I couldn't find a good like Puerto Rican or or Latino actor from that time who was age-appropriate. Yeah, I, in my head. Suicide's still a black guy. I mean, it's, it's hard, hard, hard to tell if he is was supposed to have been, you know, uh, yeah, more Hispanic or something. But I would have taken the chance, taken that to right the wrongs of the coloring past and, uh, you know, get like a young Lawrence Fishburne or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah, the last one I'm less, uh, again, impressed by. For Brick, Lewis Gossett. Okay. <laughs> Gossett's a good actor, but he doesn't seem beefy at all. Yeah. 
you need someone with at least some natural size to be the brick wall. Yeah, the um, at first I was looking at actors like Forrest Whitaker, um, but then I remember there's actually a number of like pro football guys who went into acting. Um, Bubba Smith is like a good six seven, mm. and he he did uh, this uh, Blue Thunder show that was a couple years before this, so. You look, you know, uh, yeah, very authentic looking. Fred Williamson, maybe a little uh, earlier, did some cheap Italian movies, uh, mm. action movies. I don't know. Also a former football guy. Uh, but mm, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, Brick's such like a imposing physical presence. I mean, that, who's that guy from the Green Mile? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, mm. I know what you're talking about, but it's like yeah, Duncan Clark something. Michael. Oh, Michael Clark, Michael Duncan Clark, something like that. that sounds right. Clark Duncan, Duncan those, Clark, Duncan Donuts. I may have mixed up the order of those names, but I <laughs> but I was I thinking, so um, yeah, I had like I was really batting zero for the kickers, but I I did think Coach Kirby maybe sort of an Ernest Borgnine character. <laughs> okay, uh, not like that. What about that guy who always played the drill instructor <laughs> mm. uh, from like Full Metal Jacket? Okay. Also, you know, that's what came to mind for me. Is just screaming at you all the time, and that's his only shtick. <laughs> I like that too. Okay. I uh I always think of him as lovable coach Kirby, but yeah, he's always screaming at you, so maybe lovable is a bit strong of a term. But... Yeah. I think that's another contribution to my C rating, C plus but C in the C rating is no coach Kirby. Like wouldn't he have something to say about the te- getting the team being sold? <sighs> Many frustrations here. Hmm. But okay. That is it for this week's episode. <laughs> Next time, we'll be looking at... Da, 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 da. If I can just find my mark here. Right. There we go. Way down here, justice number nine. I'll have to fix that in post. <laughs> Good old justice. Uh, I should, I should uh, give you a sign. Oh, I'm going to do this now. Throw it, to, throw it to the pitch. What good's a script if I can't actually read it? Um, but it's right here. Uh, st- Justice 9, stripped of the abilities of his mystical sword, Justice is forced to wield the weapons of Earth with devastating results. Written, in, written and penciled by Keith Giffen and inked by Rick Bryant. Hmm. Ah. Um, that's an interesting twist. And then the shorter version, uh, Justice has been stripped of his power, but he's not helpless. The question is, will he survive in one piece? Well, we've already seen how overpowered revolvers are in the win- winter dimension. So, hmm. I do like, I mean, the, the idea of Keith Giffen coming back. He and Justice are a good match. Yeah. Uh, from that night mask we just uh, saw last month. Um, but the both of them do say that he's lost the ability of his sword, which you know he's already like on the run from the police, and uh, how he's going to lose his sword as well. I don't know, but um, a good challenge for them. we're gonna have to find out.
find out. We're on DP7 number nine, the Sinister Sanctuary, known only as the Clinic, once more has DP7. And DP7 is glad to be there. Plus, introducing a new group of seven displaced paranormals. DP 8 to 14, perhaps. <laughs> Dreams, written by Grunwald and Ryan and Tungal. Shorter version, uh, introducing a new group of paranormals. And they're not what you might expect. What would I expect? <laughs> Don't know. DP7's, uh, like, they made such an effort to, like, have a variety of powers, of personalities, and everything that, yeah, you can't just think, oh, well, they didn't do this, because they've done a lot so far, so, yeah. And their imagination's a good part of it. Anyway, so, as we said, uh, you can find us at kickersinc.com, and um, we're also happy to take um, emails, uh, particularly from our New Universe slogan contest over at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. It's podcasting time. And until next time, when we'll see you back at the Spinner Rack. Farewell.